Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research. Welcome to a discussion for the American Society of Cytopathology. My name is Natalie Benet. I am a GYN and cytopathologist and I work at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. And I am also a member of the ASC's Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee. Today, it is my pleasure to um, welcome a very special guest and fellow DEI committee member, Dr. Evita Henderson-Jackson. Dr. Henderson-Jackson studied medicine at the University of South Carolina. She trained in pathology at the University of South Florida of Medicine, where she also completed fellowships in surgical oncology and cytopathology. She is an associate member in the Department of Anatomic Pathology and Sarcoma and an associate professor at the Morsi College, Morsani College of Medicine, excuse me. In an effort to highlight and honor Black History Month, we have asked Dr. Henderson Jackson here today to talk about her career, her practice of pathology and her journey into medicine. Dr. Henderson Jackson, thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I am doing very well today. Um, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it was an easy decision to have you on. Um, I think it was unanimous practically. So first, um, I would like to start with your earliest experiences. It seems that you are a child of the South. Um, what exposures to science and medicine did you have growing up? Um, so uh, I was born in Long Island, New York. Oh. So I lived in Queens until I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So I was in a private school first. I went to St. Catharines with all the wonderful nuns. <laughs> learned all the different things yeah. there and then I transitioned my family transitioned me to public school and that was like oh my god what's going on it was so much more not as organized as an end as um should I say structured yeah. but very different um a lot of variety and um again public school systems were in New York during my time, I was an 80s child, um, everything was kind of really just focusing your core subject areas, reading, writing, math, science, and stuff like that, what we do with our teachers and things of that sort. And then my family moved to um, South Carolina. Uh, my grandmother was born in Aiken, South Carolina, and um, she wanted to move back closer to some of her family and my mom um, was um, taking care of her mom. So we all moved south. It was a very much of a culture shock when I got there and all the humidity that I was never used to. And no snow anymore though, that was great. I didn't have to scrape ice anymore or shovel snow as a chore. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, so that was your chore growing up was the snow removal. That's yes. clever. I should do that with my kids. <laughs> And thought of that. <laughs> I'm with you though. I'm not a huge fan of uh, of the ice and the scraping. So you got to the south, and it was like a whole new experience for you. Whole new experience for me. Um, it was like being the only one that looks like me in some of my classes because I was in more of the honors class and AP classes because my mother was very adamant about education. Um, you need it to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, even though my grandmother uh, only had a third grade education, 
she was the person who watched me after school. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was able to sit with me and say, hey, tell me what your homework is. And with me going over it and she's seeing me doing, she learned um, how to read and all those things and stuff like that. And so it was me helping her and she was helping me study. She's like, nope, do it again. Or that doesn't look nice, neat enough. You didn't write it neat enough. You don't want to turn in sloppy work. So she may not have known what I was doing, but she did look at it and tried her best. And then when my mom was getting off of work because she worked all the time, um, then she was able to review things with me as well. Um, Because my mother was in publishing in New York at Random House. And that's where I got a whole lot of books and I loved to read. And my mother had a picture of me in my room by my books because I had a wall that was a bookshelf and people thought I was in a library. And my mom said, no, that is her room. Oh my gosh. How lovely. So your mom was in publishing. Was she like a, like a copy editor kind of thing? So was um, she, she, she helped person? with editing okay. mm-hmm. and so does a lot of contracting. Oh man. All the authors like that in your family to be able to turn in stuff to her and say, Hey mom, how does this look? Because I'm sure she's used to critiquing people. And then your grandma was also, it sounds like had very high standards. So from an early age, you were, you know, driven to success, which I mean, it's no surprise. I I know your (laughs) work. I know you, so I'm I'm not surprised. So um, what was your exposure like to science and medicine? If it sounds like you were, your mom was more in, in like maybe the creative type yes my mom is more the creative type she loved writing and I liked writing too I did my first first poem that was ever published I was in my elementary school um magazine um yes that I did you remember what it was about that I don't but my mother does she keeps everything (laughs) okay well we'll get back to the listeners with that information (laughs) she keeps everything she's like a historian when it comes to me I was the only child. So she just uh-huh. kept everything. It's a mu- it's an Evita museum. I get it. Okay. Yes, it, it is. I was okay. like, oh my God, mom, you really still have this. Even report cards. She literally kept the report cards. That's well, you know. Uh, I can believe it. Yeah. There's a good record of you mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, that's good. And so when I was in South Carolina um, in Aiken, there was only two elementary schools. It was Aiken L and then there was South Aiken L. I went to Aiken L like was my fifth grade. Then I transitioned to like junior middle school. And again, there was only two middle schools. There was Aiken Middle School. And then there was South Aiken. I'm like, what is this? This is only two schools. And it's hilarious. It depends on what side of town you were on. Mm. And we lived on the South side, but I went where the line was cut by the district I went to school on the other side of town and anytime I said where I lived other people was like oh my god why do you come over here shouldn't you be at the nicer schools on the south side of town I was like oh I didn't know I had no idea I was like mm-hmm. I, have, I have no idea what side was the better side or the nicer side it's mm-hmm. my first time ever in Egan much different than how my grandmother grew up Mm-hmm. there in Aiken, Aiken, South Carolina at that time. But um, my biology teacher was Coach Jan. Um, loved biology, but I think everybody also loved Coach Jan because he was like the most cutest coach there. And everybody was taking biology. <laughs> For real. I think people would even like science <laughs> just trying to take both up. Just you take it biology. 
Yeah, for the view. I get it. Okay. I like though. I really did love biology. Okay. Okay. But it was a popular but, class, is what you're telling me. But that me. was a very popular class. Okay. And then it trails off once you get to biology two, then chem one, chem two. Then you see the core people who truly it's, like science. It's, it's a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it gets a little harder. And so that's when I was like introduced to the, um, we dissected pigs, frogs. Uh, we did a lot of things in um, that um, class, as well as um, we had to do volunteer hours, right? And I volunteered at the um, Aiken Regional Hospital, at the hospital, one hospital that we have. And I was like, okay. And I volunteered there. And so I really had an apt, I liked science. And then I got you know, volunteered at the hospital and I was working with patients, even though it was like transporting them, or helping them. They want to have conversations, especially the older patients. They want to talk to you. Absolutely. What do you want yeah. to do? What do you want to be? And mm-hmm. things like that kind of thing. And so I got introduced that way. The second way is my, unfortunately, my grandmother, like many of African-Americans, you have high blood pressure, had heart disease, you know, osteoporosis. She had a lot of different doctor's appointments. And so when she was going, I was also going with my mom and them to different appointments, especially through the summertime, right? I was the tag along, I was there. And so I met her doctors and their doctors met me. And I said, oh, I, I love science. I may want to go into medicine. And it's like, oh, what type of doctor do you want to be? I said, I didn't know. And so through there, they said, anytime you want to shadow me, let me know. I will let you come shadow me. So I got to shadow a family practitioner. Um, he was an African-American, only one in Alva Bacon. Um, I also got to shadow the wound center care physician as well, because um, wound care issues with diabetes and some of one another, my aunt as well, who's down there as well. So I met him and just with those two physicians, I mean, they must've really enjoyed having me. They always, always let me know what things were going on, what things I could have opportunities to volunteer for, things to get more um, information about the different types of medicine. I was able to go just not into the hospital like I did for volunteer, but they took me to the OR. They took me to some of the patient areas so I can kind of see that. Mm-hmm. So I got to see all that aspect, right? But how did I get to pathology? Well, I, before there was Google, there was the library. <laughs> and yeah. Basically, I was in it. That was one of my favorite places when there was like, I had like a period, free period. And I'd be going to the library and like, I wanted to look up and read all the different on different types of physicians and I saw pathology and they work in the lab and I'm like I'm seeing the stuff that I'm seeing when I'm looking at cells and histology because we learned some of that in high school and I was like oh I could do this and I am a physician and I could do pathology and it's not always about um forensics things because I was like maybe I do forensics because I was like I have no issues cutting up pigs and stuff like that. I was like, I can probably cut up a human body, you know, and help people, you know, figure out what happened to their loved ones. But then I saw there's a whole realm of pathology with laboratory medicine. I said, this is what I want to do. I said, this is my app because I like that. I love things where I'm kind of picturing things because I much more of a, I like visual learning. I 
visual learner, but I also can learn different ways, but visual is like my key thing. I love looking at things and putting patterns, pieces and puzzles together. And I said, this is what I'm gonna be. My mom's like, oh, you wanna go to this? What type of doctor you wanna be? You wanna be like a surgeon? I was just, no, I'm gonna be a pathologist. Mom's like, what is that? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta do a little explaining to mom. She's actually yeah. over there publishing the books. Yeah. <laughs> but I've really, it was like between eighth grade, ninth grade, I kind of figured out, yes, I'm going to go to medical school and I'm going to become a pathologist before I even got there. I, I think knew you win the award. I don't know that I've ever talked to another pathologist who knew in eighth or ninth grade. I mean, a lot of us knew that we wanted to be physicians, right? Myself included. But like, I didn't figure out the pathology thing until I was about a third year medical student. So that's impressive. I'm impressed that you turned your love of dissecting pigs and looking at cells into a free period in the library and then your career path. Cause you obviously are very accomplished. So maybe you got a head start, you know, like you already knew what you wanted to do. That's wonderful. Um, so you, you talked about um, the schools where you were living and I, I don't understand the geography of Aiken, South Carolina, apologies. I've never been there. I'm sure it's lovely. You said that when you got there, you were the only African-American student in your class. Was that true then in middle school and high school as well? Were you on the, the one side of, or how when I'm that... in the classroom, I may be the only one or one of two, okay. but when you go see the entire school, there okay. are plenty of additional okay. African-Americans. Okay? okay. It's just that you get isolated. You can see the difference because when they separate you based on what your track is, right? Mm-hmm. If you college track, this track, whatever. When I was in with all the people who were more AP, we were on the president's honor roll, we're doing all these different things. It's not many that look like me in those classes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've heard um, you know, black Americans talk about being the only or the first and how hard that is. So um, I wonder when you were going through it, was it on your mind as much, or is it something that you reflect back and you think, you know, I just got up every day and did that, or was it on your mind? you know, walking into the classroom every day? Was it something you had to confront and sort of think about all the time? When I first got to South Carolina, that was like, kind of hit me first. I was like, well, I, when I'm looking around, it's like, okay, I'm the only person. I was like, mom, I, I went home. I was like, mom, I am like the only person uh-huh. that looks like me in these classes. She said, don't worry about it. <laughs> She's uh-huh. like, you still do your best and, not, and so you can be successful. They say, yes, may not see many people like you, but as you become successful, you can open up doors. So there may be more people like us that has opportunities to engage in things of this sort. Even if it means, you know, going back, no matter where you live, she says, um, and working with schools, working with children, if that's something you want to do. So, so they can open their minds and say, you can work hard. Mm-hmm. Don't put yourself in this box because somebody labeled you as like this and you're just fulfilling what somebody else says about this group of people. When mm-hmm. no, you can do better. You can be successful. You can be smart and you can be in those, what they call the smart classes with all the geeky kids. No, you can. <laughs> geeky kid. I was a geeky kid. I was a geeky kid. Completely geeky. So it's just two geeks here chatting, but I mean, I guess I just wonder, did you feel like you put additional pressure on yourself? Because- oh, I always put additional pressure on myself. When uh-huh. I came home with a B, I was upset. And my mom was like, it's a B. I'm happy. 
you we studied like, hard for this yeah. together she's like we were doing flashcards until 10 11 o'clock at night mm-hmm. you did great and i was like it should have been an a i can <laughs> do better looked at me like, so for, striving for success beyond even your mother's expectations and she doesn't yeah. sound like a slouch so mm-hmm. good for you i guess um so you said you chose pathology on your own um what, what I think, you know, because you and I both, we, we were involved in this, you know, pipeline program for DEI and trying to get young, I, I call them kids now because I'm getting old, but like, you know, middle to high school age students, I should say, interested in medicine, not just pathology, but just looking at, at people like you and people, you know, who are not, um, who are in under, underrepresented groups in medicine saying like, she can do it, I can do it. Um, I just wonder, I think mentorship is something that kind of, it's like a necessary ingredient for a lot of this to happen. I think that if you ask most physicians or very accomplished people, was there someone in your past who made you think that you could do this? Because if you don't come from a family of physicians or highly achieving academic people, you don't know that you can even do it because you don't even know it's a thing. Or if you know it's a thing, you think like that's a thing that these other people do, but not that I could do. So you're in the library, you're looking at pigs and stuff good on you but was there like a pathologist along the way who there was not a pathologist yeah but I had some um, great teachers Uh uh-huh that way I had um god I can't remember Mrs um Brethwaite I think it was Miss Brethwaite she was one of my um junior high um teachers Mm -hmm. and she's like teach science she did science and she did math she because we were rotating different classes and she's like Alita you're smart um because some one day I was talking too much I was acting she's like don't fall into this group you know you're smart you don't need to act like you're not smart or dumb yourself down so you can be in a group and have friends she said (laughs) be successful do what you want going want to do Mm -hmm. and so I had her, and then in high school, there was another teacher who was actually my English teacher. High school English I did English a whole teacher. lot of writing and stuff yeah. like that, and she's like, you write beautifully, and I'm like, yes, but I'm going into science. She's like, I don't know, whatever you're going into, you're going to be good at it, and she was very supportive in yes. whatever I did. I had a Spanish teacher who was strict as heck, and I I was like, God, when I'm done, I, I'm not taking any more Spanish. What I did, I took Spanish all four years. Yeah. Uh, yes. And even when she's like, yes, you could do this. You're very smart. And she's like, what are you going to say? This is a field. Well, oh, knowing another language, it's going to be great for you. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Yeah, so thanks. So I always had these very hard teachers, mm-hmm. but then I, literally over time, I learned a lot from them and try to learn to understand why they were being hard on me because they saw something that I could actually do it and push me to that next step. That's really important. And when you were in medical school, were there any physicians who you think were able to um, sort of model that kind of like perseverance or just drive or someone that you clicked with in particular? Because most of the people you're talking about are sort of before your medical education. So I just wonder. So when I was in medical education and uh, Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, the better medical school in South Carolina. Oh, okay. I'll stay out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. You know us, the Clemsons and the Gamecocks, we always have fights or whatever. Okay. Okay. Best <laughs> okay. In the area. But um, there was literally so many, I mean, between the different 
lecturers and stuff like that, many different um, faculty. Uh-huh. I mean, I had an awesome anatomy teacher um, who taught anatomy. Um, even though one day I was anatomy class, it was embarrassing. Um, that's when you're in person and these everybody was required to come to class. It was not no online teaching at this point. Everybody's in class. They make this dark room and we had these big cushiony seats to sit in. I said, this is just dying. And I'm sitting there on the second row from the front, nodding off. I don't think I was asleep. And he actually like, Sita, Sita, what is this? Is this woke me up to answer a question. I was like, oh my God. How'd you do? I answered the question. And he was surprised. I, had right. I was like, I have no prayer of answering the question. I come to class. Good for you. Yeah. Okay. So you're obviously good at anatomy if you can do it from a dead sleep. That's what from I'm From a dead sleep it was. And then that's not the point. He never asked me no more questions. <laughs> Like, I bet you stayed awake after that, though. Maybe. Oh, God. It was like struggle. We were in there for hours. Yeah. And then when I went on clinicals, literally, um, the faculty I worked with, but specifically, there was one um, resident, resident internal medicine. Um, he was very awesome, good teacher. And he's like, oh, what are you going? I'm going to pathology. He's like, oh, my God, why? I was like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you don't like patients. I love patients. Yeah. I, got <laughs> I have no problem talking to patients because yeah. you said you do so well. I was like, yeah. yes, I want You're to so good with people. people. Why are you going into pathology? Well, because I, I want to take care of people. Well, Thank I'm you. I appreciate people. your input. I, I like and he's that. like, okay, I'll support you anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my God. Destigmatizing pathology. Well, that's good. Destigmatizing pathology. Yeah. But um, I really then didn't have like any really close knit um, faculty member that I was with or as like they do now. I think they do better now when they do in these mentorships and career advising than they did when I was in medical school. But when I was on rotations, it was a supportive environment. And uh, when I did have an issue with a faculty member and surprisingly, it was a faculty member that was African-American but yeah. when I mean African-American, he is actually from Africa. Yeah. And I, as a female, I did not know if it was a, what difference in could be the culture or something that was different that I didn't quite get. But it was nothing I could do could ever be right. I was trying to get there. Crack a dawn to try to prepare and get everything. And it was like, no, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. You did this wrong. It was so bad that someone else on the rotation reported this to the oh, office, wow. to the register, like to the office. And then they called me home and asked me what was going on because it was someone else who noticed this. Oh my goodness. I, I, me, I was the person, I'm going to try my best. Just keep your head down. Look, yeah. Keep your head down, go through. Sure. Yeah. And see this. And well, I'm, so, I'm glad someone spoke up on your behalf, I yeah. guess. Although I hope it didn't make it worse for you. That was always my fear. Oh, it did not like make happened. it worse. Good, good. Did not make it worse. Um, they did rotate me onto another faculty member on that service and stuff like that. Because oh, it was not the first time they said they had issues. <laughs> Isn't that the story whenever you hear about stuff like that? You just like, yourself, really? there's no way this is the first time this person <laughs> It's like, Hmm. Anyway, well, we hope that in 2022, knock on wood, that stuff like that is being addressed more quickly and yes. yes. Um, so that's that's good. Then, and it, it is interesting to me that you say that the people you sort of clicked with were not pathologists in medical school. I can think back to a couple of people like that for myself as well. I had the 
fortune of knowing a pathologist. And so when I kept going through medical school and crossing things off the list, I was like, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to her. Cause she seems really happy and like well-balanced. So, you know, it's nice, isn't it? To have people in the world. Um, so I thought we could shift a little to talk about, um, your career as a pathologist. You work, um, in, uh, and it seems like you specialize somewhat in soft tissue sarcoma, I'm not sure so much bone, but like sarcoma and bone pathology. Um, and you're, you're pretty well published. So I thought maybe, um, you could talk a little bit about what it was like to pick that subspecialty. And then also what was your experience like getting acquainted with and sort of becoming published, um, in the, in the sort of research area of medicine, which can be very intimidating to some people. So. Oh, yes, it is, it is intimidating. It was kind of nervous the first time around, but I, you know, put the challenge there and I want to try to do my best. And so uh, as a resident, it was the first time I published and I was able to work with a really good faculty member. They gave some guidance, examples, mm-hmm. you know, how we do things. Um, there was resources at um, our institution that we could use that helped us with um, library doing researching, how to pull, how to search, oh, how cool. to gather that information, things of like that sort. And then they brought light to me, the shining light of EndNote. I was like, where has this been all my life? When I was in high school, it was yeah, papers and really little numbers and going one, two, three, four, going through a paper and I'm trying really to get this. Sure. Done. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but there wasn't even like Google when I was in high school. There was I know, like, there was nothing go to like a card catalog practically. Yes, or like there I were remember. search engines that were so opaque and, you know, uh, just like people laugh at like how computer hesitant I am sometime. And I'm like, you don't know, the scars are deep, you know, they're yes. deep. So EndNote. Okay. So you found EndNote as a resident. I found EndNote. I was like, oh God, my life has been saved. It takes, it took so much more time away. I could really delve in and get stuff done. And I was like, so thankful that they had these people that helped us trainees when we were wanting to produce scholarly activity. That's a really great resource. Yeah. Yes. So I did my first one with um, Dr. Margot. And then as I rotated through the different sites that I have, I met other faculty members and they saw my interest in wanting to do scholarly work as well as learning the pathology. And they invited me to work with them on different projects and papers. And then I think through collaborating with the faculty, it kind of gets known. I think they talk, faculty talk to other faculty. They talk, well, this resident helped me with this and that resident. And then they want to come for you. The faculty couple's like, oh, we hey. said you did this. And that's, can you come and you help wanna, us? You want to write this up? Yeah, I got this yes. data set. You want to, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And then I got to work with some other faculty who really became even more than just mentors with research and scholarly work that have been more of my professional development. And that's when I got into liking both the bone soft tissue world stuff. And I also did like a lot of breast pathology as well. Uh-huh. Sometimes I sign out some breasts. I'm not as much as I used to, uh-huh. but I do like more of the bone soft tissue. And that person was also a pathologist. And I have to give thanks. That's um, Dr. Marilyn Bowie, who was my mentor and really worked hard for me when she's like, I want you here. I want to keep you here at this institution for me to get a job, to be here at Moffitt Cancer Center and then work as well with USF. Okay. 
So okay. it's just not that mentorship, but also that sponsorship as well. Yeah. And that sort of advocating for you. And also I'm hearing, uh, you know, destigmatizing the research process, which I find if you don't, if you have people, residents, trainees from all backgrounds are not familiar with it, they just think there's abs- there's absolutely no way I can do that, you know, but if you just like, it's almost like training wheels. If you just like hold a resonance hand the whole way through. And then the next time they do a little bit more of it on their own. And then all of a sudden they're coming up with ideas by themselves, you know? So it's a yes. stepwise process. It would be like asking a newborn baby to run a marathon. You have to sort of like get there a little bit. Absolutely correct. So once I got that, then I'll, I'll probably run my fourth year. And then during fellowship, I was writing protocols at that point. Nice. Yeah. Well, it doesn't sound like you ever weren't a high achiever. Can't stand to be on a test. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Your mom's a writer. So, you know, it all came back around to itself. Um, so we're, we are gathered here. It's February, 2022, specifically right now. Not that I wouldn't love to talk to you whenever um, because it's Black History Month. Um, and you and I met through our work on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for the American Society of Cytopathology, which was um, a committee they sort of created uh, you can correct me on that. I'm sure like 2020, 2020, I think. I think it, I think it's 2020. I think it was 2020. Um, and, um, I would say, uh, as a white American, I, this is a podcast people can't tell that I am not, I am white. Um, it's certainly true that issues affecting black Americans have been brought to the forefront in many ways since the, uh, sort of the George Floyd situation in 2020 and the protests and calls for social justice. I still think we have a long way to go. And our committee worked on specifically the things we've talked about, like addressing pipeline issues um, and the, you know, increasing the representation for diverse candidates and um, raising awareness of medicine as a career. Uh, So I guess we'll get into a few of these issues now, but first off, I was wondering, since it is Black History Month, if you want to talk a bit about how, a little bit about how your family or you specifically um, observe Black History Month every year. So really when it's Black History Month, um, I try to read or expose my kids Mm -hmm. to individuals that actually help society um, through either invention, civil rights, medicine, because that's what I do. I, I know I'd be like pushing it on my kids. I don't know if you're going to go on it, but hey, let's, just, let's, yeah. let's talk yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Of individuals and, re- and read about them. Right now they're like uh, eight and six. Mm. Okay. And mm. so I we get the short story books where we're kind of learning about Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, um, Ava's reading about Harriet Tubman this month. Mm-hmm. So she's learning about Harriet Tubman and kind of going through the steps of what does it mean, black and brown and what was a slave and things like they can understand. What was Jim Crow? What were these rules where it was black only and white only mm-hmm. kind of things and kind of understand that it's not like that today, but this is how it was before. And so if them to understand if they ever get approached or get told you know, maybe some rude comments or something what's other that, that um, they kind of tried to, to let them understand wh- what this meant. And it's not right. But again, there's going to be instances where this happens and that we should feel sorry for them that they don't understand these differences and why they have chose that perspective, but not to think that you're any less of a person. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that's a conversation you, you say you try to sort of contextualize it with history as well. Yeah. That's, that's good. And I, I do notice, you know, I have kids around the, a little teeny bit younger than yours, but that just the change, you know, I grew up in Kentucky, which is not, you know, it's like the South light kind of um, sort of thinks it's the South until you get to the South and you're like, that's not really the South, but <laughs> like the difference in the education that my kids are receiving and that I received in the eighties. I think we've come a long way. I know there's still more to like, but just the, what they learned during black history month, I think um, it seems like it's actually being emphasized in better ways. Is that the best way I can put it? Um, and then I guess um, as a, as an African-American pathologist, a female African-American pathologist in medicine and academics, I mean, you're a pretty rare breed, I think. So what has your experience been like in the past few years, maybe since 2020? I know the whole thing is clouded by COVID, so it's all just strange, but have you noticed any changes or how has how have things changed for you if they have at all? I think what has changed, and I, I don't want people to feel uneasy because <laughs> I think individuals that may not be black or brown <laughs> color ethnicity may feel a little bit more uncomfortable or um, concerned about what they say or what they do around us because of all these things that happen is like literally if you're trying to come from a place of understanding like you try to know and you just being kind of honest we're going to tell you honestly like what does this mean this is what this means because if you don't know what it's mean how are they going to ever know if they're not able to ask the question to you mm-hmm. and I don't want them to say that they can't talk or say things in front of me because they are afraid they're gonna hurt my feelings it's like no I just want the pendulum to swing all from one side to the to the next side too far I'm like at least we are able, I want to be more open for the conversations. And I think we're moving towards being able to be more open with these tough conversations mm-hmm. about race, about ethnicity, about gender. Uh, there's so many things that make up a person, just not one thing. Mm-hmm. And any one thing, somebody can use that against someone to say you're different and you should not be a part of this. No, that's not right. Mm -hmm. And so I think with everything that happened, people are stepping back and kind of looking again of what they're doing. Um, They look and say, yes, we need diversity. Yes, we need to be inclusive. And yes, we need to be equitable because it's been unfair to one group versus another group. And as a physician, being a part of healthcare, I want to strive to decrease inequities. So we're helping just not one community, but all communities, no matter what your background, all people are human beings. We need to help everyone. And when we can find out what we're doing is affecting a group more so than the other, we need to figure out how we can make that difference not such a big difference. Let's lessen it. Let's see what we can do together. Because unless we all get to the table together, we're not going to make a change that's going to be sustained and long lasting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's important. Like, thank you. Um, and then, uh, so it sounds like, you know, my, my next question was, um, what, what do you, like, what do you think is working and what about 
what happened and maybe what's changing gives you hope for the future, but it sounds like you think maybe having these open conversations with your colleagues. So maybe in like a hyper local kind of way is where you see this maybe changing for the, in the long run. Is that fair? Yes, that is fair. Okay. Um, I, before many, we, I think we get to the point where we've been uncomfortable to have conversations, African-Americans in our workplace, because we know, oh, if I say something or act a different way, um, I could lose my job, or they're not gonna like me. They're gonna say I'm too this way, he's too aggressive, this person's too mean, this person's mm -hmm. this way. So a lot of times we've been shutting ourselves down to try to fit in mm. to this world. And mm. I think now they're figuring it out that that's not gonna, it can't, it's not gonna sustain itself yeah. at that rate. And now you've seen more and more, just not in the hospital world, but in the corporate world and education, higher education worlds, where they are working with their Office of Diversities and Inclusion and Equity. They're expanding this. They're trying to make sure lectures are inclusive. They're trying to make sure that the information and the content is there so people can understand different perspectives yes. to narrow biases. Otherwise, if you're gonna continue the way you're gonna continue like you always have, it's not gonna change. And I think they're understanding like, this has to change and to do these changes, we have to look at it through the lens of equity, no matter, and equity does not always mean African-American. A lot of people, I, mean, I know some people just look at that and it's like, oh, it's a black thing. No, it's not a black thing. Yeah. It's an equity thing. It's, a, it's, it's an equal it's, playing field. It's, it's literally making sure everyone. everyone has access to success. Yes. That's kind of how I think about equity. It's that, you know, that well, the picture of the people on the bike, you know, like everybody might not need the same shape of bike, like you might have special requirements, but if you make the bike a different shape, then everyone can ride on the road. Like it doesn't, not everyone needs the same bike. So um, that's really beautiful. And I thank you for coming here to talk about this. Um, but you're, I mean, I, I was going to add a question um, so we can go out on a fun note. Um, you're not just a physician and a mom. Um, but you're also a human being. So what do you do when you're not being a physician to have fun or unwind, especially now that life has changed so drastically during COVID times? Oh, um, well, literally, um, Florida, our Florida governor, he has opened up everything. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. True. So uh, mostly <laughs> in Florida, we have been You can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, we do whatever you want. You wear that mask or you don't wear that mask yeah, yeah. <laughs> at this point. But um, things that I love to do for fun, if you did not know, I love to dance and my kids take dance as well. Oh. Um, I do ballet and I do hip hop. I do jazz. I do things to keep myself active. Fit, yes. I can keep up with my children. <laughs> yes, I, I feel you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we do that together for fun. Um, baby girl loves it. Um, she loves gymnastics as well. She loves doing flips and all that kind of thing. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I got to keep them busy, uh -huh. um, doing activities with them because I do like art. So Ava and I, she, I do more of the artsy things where you want to paint uh -huh. and draw art and things like that. My son, he's more of like, I want to want to do some sports like stuff. He's like active. So I got to take him roller skating. We're jumping Ooh. on tra trampoline parks. Yes. Riding bikes, things of that sort to keep him having fun and active. So, yeah. and then again, 
we do this all with my wonderful husband who keeps track of everything and manages dates when I'm doing all this work. He says I work too much. I was like, I don't know. Do I really work too much? Because I love it so much that I don't know it's truly work. Yeah. But he's like, yeah. Yeah. So he manages a lot of the things at the house. Very, very like, this needs the, to get fixed. This needs to get yeah, I get it. I get it. He's very supportive. So okay. love it. Well, that sounds very uh, active and creative and fun. Uh, do you still have a wall of books somewhere in your home? We have one in the office. Great. Um, my husband and I share an office. He hates it. He's like, oh, one day I need my, like, I need a home, mini home office with my regular office, honey. So we have books all there. And then the kids all have a piece of shelf with a whole bunch of books in their room as well. I, yeah. So we can read. Yeah. You sound like you wouldn't have gone the digital route. I think kids need actual physical books they can hold. I'm with you on that. I love books. Physical books, yes. Plus it's like insulation, right? Keep your house warm or cold or whatever. Whatever. I tell myself. I know, right? I know we need a book. They love going to Barnes and Nobles. I was like, let's go pick a book. Yeah, in the library. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, that's a happy note to end things on. Um, Did you have anything else you wanted to mention before we go? Uh, No, I'm just so happy that um, ASC is working on um, diversity, equity, inclusion for yes. the society, yes. making sure we have equity for our members. And so they will enjoy their education that they give, their networking that they have, the opportunities that we can provide because we're providing them for everyone. Yes. Amen. I know, Yeah. And thank you so much to the ASC and to Dr. Henderson Jackson. I think that's all we've got for now. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to CytopathPod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at Cytopathology or via email at asc at cytopathology.org. Hey.